0: Uh, and we're going to read Jeremiah chapter nine, twenty-three 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Our second reading, we're going to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 16. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I might do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or pushes himself forward, or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone dares to boast about, I am speaking about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind talk to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord, of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascus uh, guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ... "'who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven. "'Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. "'God knows. "'And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, "'I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. "'He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. "'I will boast about a man like that, "'but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. "'Even if I should choose to boast,' I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, good morning. Let me have my welcome. If we've not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. It's lovely to uh, have you with us, and wonderful as a... Church, to be able to gather together. These are rich words, rich words indeed. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Father, we've sung already this morning. Your every promise is enough for every step I take, that you sustain us with your arms of love, you crown us with grace. Father, would we understand this rightly? There are meaty truths here for us to wrestle with, but we we'll believe in no doubt that uh, for those of us who know you, who love you, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, you promise us grace for today. There is grace from the Lord Jesus Christ for us today, so we can cling to him. Father, teach us, we ask in his name. Amen uh recently i had to i was asked to invite i had to send in some biographical details uh for a conference i'm going to and, and speaking at and so you had to send in your little bio can you send through your bio now every subculture is this, it has its own little idiosyncrasies and in, in the christian world when you have the ministers biographies they're all basically identical they are all just identical they all say the same thing so minister it may be, Minister Jim is pastor of this amazing church, and uh, he's written all these things. It's extraordinary how much he's written, uh, and he's married to the very wonderful lady so-and-so, and they have this number of children, and two million grandchildren, and um, you must really pay your money and come to this conference. They're basically all the same. I'm not being rude. It's no, I, I just, they all turn out to be the same. It's so it seems to me, it's just one of those things. So I was asked to send in my little bio, and I was in a slightly contrary. Mood, uh, and what do I put in? I know what I'm meant to write. I know what I'm meant to write. They're all the same. So here it is. This here's what I wrote. Would you come to this conference? Uh, Matt Fuller was a child prodigy who preached his first sermon to his parents from the womb. <laughs> He's well known for his godliness and unrestrained humility. He's galactically famous, a speaker in demand across the many universes although most access his ministry through one of the 250,000 books he's published. He's won International Husband of the Year three times, (laughs) currently has 17 children and 95 grandchildren. Most of those are missionaries, although some are now serving as presidents of respective countries around the globe. (laughs) Matt's hobbies include representing England at tennis, chess, and muffin baking. He currently holds the position of British Pipe Smoker of the Year. How about that? Does that work? Does that work for you? Would you want to go to that one? They're all all the same, these sort of things. I, I don't want to be rude, but what do you do when someone asks you, can you list how brilliant you are? I mean, no one puts it quite like that, do they, of course. But whenever you put together a CV, kind of being asked that question, maybe a while, maybe a few years since you've had to do that, but when you apply for a job, Humility doesn't go down that well always. No one applies for a job and describes everything that's gone wrong in the last few years. Well, I've been at my current company for three years and I got this wrong and and this went down and this project collapsed. No one writes like that. Slightly unwise to do so in a, a secular job interview. But Porter's just precisely that here. Let me tell you everything I find really hard, everything that has gone wrong. Let me tell you how fragile I am. That's a slightly unusual uh, approach to take. But I think, I hope, we'll uh, understand a bit more that in Christian ministry and in general sense in the Christian life, the Lord longs to see a dependent Humility within us. He longs for that, for his honor, for our good, but a dependent humility. And he will bring Christians to a point of weakness, so they know just that. Uh, we're near the end, uh, uh, we're near the end of this letter of two Corinthians. Off and on, we've been looking at it uh, throughout uh, this academic year, uh, and uh, I guess if you've been here, you'll know the apostle Paul then had planted this church in Corinth a number of years earlier and uh, established it, and, and it had all grown up healthily in many ways. But uh, bogus Christian leaders, false teachers, have come in, and I said, "Well, Paul—he's very weak, feeble, fragile man. That, oh, look, look—he's in prison. Everything goes wrong for him." Stick with us, Corinthians, follow us, and your lives will be far better. None of this feeble Christianity, where things go wrong, we will offer you a successful Christianity. We will offer you glory and power, not weakness and fragility. And so that's what these crowd have come in. We're getting to the end here, and Paul is, well, we started last week, launched into what he calls, what gets known as a, his fool's speech. Because he's doing something that he thinks is very, very foolish. He's boasting. He's going to boast about all his different achievements. Uh, and so uh, we can read it. Just pick it up, verse 16. He's halfway through, but verse 16. Let no one take me for a fool. Receive you. Um, verse 17. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. He's saying, I really don't want to do this. But this is the game we play. Is it okay? Uh, look, it's a really, stu- it's a foolish thing to boast about what you've done. I shouldn't be doing it, really, as an apostle. But hey, this is the game we're playing. I can play the boasting game with you. It's what seems to be the game in Corinth, verse eighteen? Many are boasting in the way the world does, listing all their marvelous achievements. I too will boast. And anyway, you'll put up with my little foolish game of boasting because, well, verse nineteen. You're putting up with lots of fools at the moment. You're putting up with people, verse 20, who enslave you, exploit you, take advantage of you, slap you. Hey, well, that's a bit extreme. But any parent of a teenager who's joined any sort of cult, well, see, that's just that sort of cultish behavior, even to the point of physical violence. Oh, yes, so we can play this foolish game of boasting. You're a bit foolish, aren't you, Corinthians? Because you allow yourself to be exploited and manipulated and, and beaten even. Uh, verse 21, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm weak. I was just too weak to ever exploit you and hit you. I'm really, I have to apologize. It's a sort of biting sarcasm to him at this point. Let's play the boasting game then. And if we're going to play this game, on we go. I just say, look, here we go. Two two ways of boasting, two bad ways of boasting, uh, and then we'll get to the point of it, really. One sensible way of boasting at the end. And it's really verses 7 to 10 that are going to make sense uh, of the rest of what he says. So hold on for them. Okay, here if we're going to play the boasting game, let me boast of a couple of things. Well, I shouldn't do, it's all very silly, but let's go with it. First is this. The fool then boasts of... I don't know how to summarize it, but maybe his credentials and service. The fool boasts, both of his credentials and his service. 21 to 33, verse 21 of chapter 11. Uh, Let's pick it up halfway through. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about, look, I don't want to do this. I don't like doing this, but okay, we're going to play this game. Right, what about them then? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? Hey, so am I. The sort of modern equivalent would be I don't know. It doesn't quite work in the 21st century. Maybe worked about 100 years ago. But in the UK, oh, they went to Westminster School in Cambridge. So did I. They know all the right people, went to the right churches, go to the right conferences. So do I. Oh, yes, I've, you know written, spoken at the right places. Yeah, so do I. I've done all that. I've done all those things. We can tick all those off. doesn't really matter. Credentials, I guess. But then he spends most of his time on patterns of service. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? Oh, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I'm more. You could, do you see his hesitancy? Their servants, oh golly, what am I going to say now? Okay, let's run with it. Their servants of Christ, I am more. I am a better servant of Christ than them. I'm more. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, Been exposed to death again and again. So hold on, Paul, you're saying you're a better servant. And why is it you're a better servant? Because I've suffered more than them. I point people to Jesus will get there in a way that they just don't through my sufferings. Plenty of physical suffering here, of course, in verses 23 to 27. Verse 23 is a bit of a summary. He says, uh, I've been exposed to death. Well, verse 24, he certainly has. Verse 25, he certainly has. All these experiences. How many times is that? At least five times definitely exposed to death. Probably double that, you could say. Then you get these pairs of dangers, verse 26, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers, from robbers, in danger from Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger on land, in danger at sea, in danger from opposition. And again, you start to wonder the question, if you're the church in Corinth, would you listen to this guy? Come along to this conference and hear this extraordinary pastor. Well, why should I come and hear Pastor Paul? Well, let me tell you verse 27. He's labored and told he often went without sleep. He was he's, he's known hunger and thirst. He's often had no food. He's he's been cold and naked. Right. <laughs> so, I should come along to the blo- the church this guy and he's often got no food to eat, nothing to wear, and he's impoverished. Yep. This is a slightly odd way of boasting, Paul presents. Yeah. Physically, he suffered a lot. So then emotionally, which is 28 to 30, I guess. Emotional suffering, if there's a slight difference. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Concern, anxiety, same word. Very striking, it's the same word he would write in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. He says, you know what, I'm really anxious. Any decent, any half-decent church minister knows this, that pastoring a church is the source of enormous joy, but real anxiety. Paul is worried for the people. There's a church of Christians that he loves, and they're being led astray. These false leaders are coming and said, oh, don't, don't take Christianity like Paul takes it, for goodness sake. Don't, you don't have to follow his sexual ethics. Don't take them too seriously. You don't do anything so it costs you. No, it should just be a sort of add-on to your life that makes your life go much better, much clearer, much simpler. And Paul says, verse 29, I feel it deeply. When someone is weak in the church, I feel very weak. When someone's led into sin, I hate it. It cuts me up. I burn. It really pains me when I see Christians being led astray. I hate it. So if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast of weakness. It doesn't say why here. We'll get to that at the end, the last few verses. But first of all then, oh, you want to boast of credentials and service? I can do that in a slightly different way. Then he moves on. Secondly, second sort of main area of boasting is in chapter 12, 1 to 6, the full boasts of his visions. So chapter 12 verse 1. Okay, I'm going to go on with this game. I must go on boasting. There's nothing to be gained by it. But let me go on then to visions and, and revelations from the Lord. Cause you remember back in chapter 5, if you were here, back in chapter 5, these, these false Christian leaders, they're full of what they see. They have, they describe in great detail their ecstatic visions, their extraordinary revelations from the Lord. And Paul says, okay, well, let's, let's play that game. About mystical experiences and revelations, and how wonderful it is. Let's play that game. Verse two. I don't really want to play this game, but anyway, verse two. I know a man in Christ. In the same way, we might say to a doctor, "Doctor, I have a friend with an embarrassing rash." You know, Paul doesn't want to. He doesn't want to bring attention to himself. So I know a man who, fourteen years ago. 14 years ago, why didn't you tell us about this when you first came to Corinth, Paul? Because I don't boast, but anyway. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, some sense of the innermost places. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. It was so vivid, so extraordinary. I don't even know if it was physical or just a vision impressed upon me. But anyway, I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up to paradise. Wow. So Paul, you had this vision and God lifted you up and and took you to the inmost parts of heaven. Extraordinary, Paul. And what did he tell you? I'm not telling you. Verse 4. I was, this man, me, was caught up and taken to paradise, heard inexpressible things, things that man's not permitted to tell. I'm not going to tell you. Oh. Oh, well, that's a bit disappointing. You've been and met God in heaven and come back and you can't tell us what it's like. No. Because you don't judge a man's ministry by his claims of visions and experiences. You judge it by them humbling, pointing you to Jesus. See, Paul here doesn't deny the phenomena of visions and revelations. He just says they don't matter. Because that's not what marks you out as a useful, faithful, Christian leader. It's humbly saying, I need Jesus. Let me point you to Jesus. That's what matters. So don't judge anyone by how wonderful the vision they had was. I, mean, I I don't, you know, Paul doesn't deny these things happen. A little a couple of years ago, the, the jellyfish man, you know, did the rounds of all the Christian conferences, this man who was stung by jellyfish and said he went to heaven and spoke to God and then came back and did, you know, would pack out stadiums telling people what it was like. Paul says, hey, I, I went to heaven. Do you want to know what God said? I'm not telling you. Because then you'd be really impressed and excited with me. Enough of all that. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's what he does. And a Christian maturity is never marked by visions, ecstatic experiences. What, what then does maturity look like? How do you sort of trump, oh, I met God and went to heaven. What's your next one going to be? Uh, we had dinner together. How do you go on in that sort of, you know, you, it's a pathway to disappointment. It's nonsense. Paul says, I'm going to boast in something different. Verse 5, I'll boast about a man like that, except I'll not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. Listen to me, he says, I could tell you everything that took place, but I will not. End of verse 6, why is that? I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. I'm not going to tell you about everything that I've seen because you'd be very impressed with me and I'm not interested in that. I want you to be impressed with Christ. So it's foolish to boast of credentials and service, foolish to boast of visions. What is sensible to boast in? Paul says, I'll boast in my weaknesses. I believe this whole speech In many senses, the whole book is focusing or building up to this point in verses 7 and 10, that Paul will boast in his weaknesses. Let me read it in full to you again. Verse 7 of chapter 12. To keep me from being conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is not how our modern culture likes to think. That when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's not how the ancient culture liked to think. That's why Paul had to write this letter to Corinth. Paul says, I will boast in my weaknesses so that, in order that, I humbly depend upon Christ. That's why. This will never be popular. I don't think anyone gathered here this morning would choose. I want to be weak in order to know more of Christ's strength. I'll get into the detail. It will never be popular, never be popular in our culture. Because everyone wants to be strong in their own right. But we do need to know it. There was a very sad, uh, somewhat bitter article in the paper. It was two, two weekends ago uh, in the uh, the Times. Christina Patterson, if you know her, she's a journalist, uh, presents The Late Show, a commentator, so newspaper journalist, TV journalist. And I didn't know this about her, but she wrote this uh, quite long, angry article. She'd become a Christian in her teenage years. Uh, in her early 20s, contracted lupus, you know, the autoimmune disease. Uh, there's no cure, uh, but leaves you in severe pain. Uh, much of the time. Uh, She was attending a very large central London evangelical church and was told, uh, God will heal you. In fact, in very blunt language, the leadership of the church said, God has told us that he will heal you. And she was not healed. And so she rejected the Christian faith and now writes very angry articles very bitter. That was not helpful advice. Don't mishear me. Of course, the the Bible says God can do miraculous things. He can miraculously heal. I believe he could do that. He doesn't promise to do that. And sometimes, perhaps, the greater miracle is that someone can still praise him and follow him in the pain He decides how that turns out. But Paul will boast in his weaknesses. We need to understand this rightly. Let's, let me ask sort of three questions to try and uh, get to the guts of what's here. First is this, what is the thorn that Paul is given? What, what actually is it? Well, quite simply, we're not told. Paul is given a thorn in his flesh. We're not told what it is. But it's synonymous, verse nine, with weakness. And in verse 10, Paul puts four other words next to it, which may explain what's going on. So the thorn is its weakness. And uh, verse 10, he'll say, I delight in weaknesses. And then four other words in insults, an obvious sense of mockery. Uh, my wife, Kerry was, uh, was uh, with some people this week. and uh, One of them said, oh, I didn't realize you were so foolish to have a pretend friend in the sky. That's not aggressive, is it? It's just mockery that sort of thing. Insults. Hardships is part of weaknesses. It's a very general word. Losing your job is a hardship. Having no money is a hardship. There's a very general sense to it. Persecutions, obviously that's ramping things up, a hard time. Suffering loss for your faith. Paul constantly on the road, beaten for his faith. In some countries around the world, you lose your life because of your faith. In the UK, you could just lose your job occasionally. Persecutions. And then difficulties at the end of verse 10. Again, another very general word. So what are the weaknesses? What is this thorn? Well, it's not defined very tightly. Weakness has a sort of physical sense, a physical ailment to it, but then you get all these other words as well. So what is this thorn that you had, Paul? It's not defined tightly, and I think that's God's deliberate design. Because for you and for me, the thorn, the weaknesses, could be all sorts of things. It doesn't have to be just persecution for being a Christian leader and false teachers come in and try to disrupt all your work. It's not just, you can't limit it to that. It's a very general sense of weaknesses. So what is this thorn? Well, we're not told so that a wide range of applications can be made. I think that's very deliberate. Why is Paul given it? Well, there are two sources here. Now, this is strong ideas to get your head around. But verse 7, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. So on the one hand, Satan gives Paul this affliction to torment him, to upset him, to cause him to throw in the towel, to overwhelm him with insults and persecutions and hardships, to to restrict him, to cause him to pull back on his ministry on the one hand. Bible talks of a figure, a personal malevolent being, Satan, and he is at work here to torment Paul. But on the other hand, Jesus sends this. Verse seven: There was given me. It's a passive; someone's doing the giving of a thorn. Who does Paul appeal to? Verse eight: Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul is conscious that God could take this thing away. Who is the Lord? Well, verse 9, the speaker says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, I boast in Christ's power. So verse 9, the speaker presumably is Christ. So Paul is conscious the Lord, and he prays to Christ, has given, has sent this thorn to him. So, on the one hand, Satan sends this thorn to torment. On the other hand, you could say, it is superintendence over all things. The sovereign Lord permits this to happen, sends this thorn to Paul. Why? Still in verse 9, Paul's comment, I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses so that, in order that, with the outcome of Christ's power resting on me. So Satan sends this thorn to torment, but Christ sends this thorn so that Paul will Depend upon Christ, boasting Jesus Christ. You you and I could easily sit here and think, well, you know, given the choice, do you know what? I don't want a thorn. I don't want affliction in my life. I don't want insults. I don't want hardships. I don't want persecution. I don't want difficulties. I'd rather not have those things. Thank you very much. But what this wonderfully tells us is that God has a purpose in them. It's not arbitrary. It isn't that your life has gone completely off the rails. There is a purpose. Paul prays. He thinks the thorn being removed would be the best thing for him. And God says, no, it is not. And we think, of course we do, we think comfort, straightforward lives, eight really nice hours, sleep a night, plenty of money so we don't have to worry about that, health so we can get on with all all the things we want to get. We think those would be the most important things we need. We think those are the really important things to serve God. And God says, no, no, sometimes you need to be brought to a point of weakness so that you trust in me and that is better for you. No, we wait to heaven. We go to heaven for comfort, for ease. And meantime, we trust in the Lord who gets us there. So what is the thorn? We're not told. Uh, Why the thorn? Well, it comes from Satan to torment, but supremely it comes from the Lord, so he'd depend. Now look, practically, third little question, what does boasting in weakness actually mean? Paul says, I'll boast in my weaknesses. Go forth and boast in your weaknesses. What does that mean when I fill in my CV tomorrow, when I apply for that job tomorrow? Do I say everything I do wrong? No, he's not saying that. Essentially, it is dependence upon the Lord. So he is not encouraging a passive resignation in the midst of trials. Golly, I'm suffering here and I'm overwhelmed here and I'm just going to collapse on the floor. Paul says, don't resign yourself in trials, pray. Paul prayed. It is unusually praised to Jesus rather than God the Father. I don't know what to make of that really. Overwhelmingly, Paul would pray to God the Father. Here he prays to Jesus three times. Some sort of echo of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed three times in extreme circumstances for the Lord. Maybe, I don't know. But it's not resignation he prays. Uh, don't also, don't view weaknesses as a route to personal strength. I think I read this, I think I always understood it this way, which is wrong. you would know, be like a professional sportsman. You know, oh, I've got a bit of a hamstring problem uh, this season. So in the summer, I'm going to have an operation and I'll be out of action for, uh, uh, for six weeks. But when I come back, I'll be stronger than ever. I'll have an operation that'll make me weak. But in the long run, I'll be stronger. It's not about me. The, Paul is not saying whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. He's not saying that because it's not him that gets stronger. Do you see the difference? He says, when I am weak, I'm strong because I'm trusting in Jesus. Those are simultaneous things. When I am weak, I don't get stronger in myself. I don't know how that works. But when I am weak, I rely on his strength. So a little while ago, our family went for a walk, as I don't know, five six mile walk uh, with another family and their three children, and uh, their youngest, about five years old, had uh, you know he's. You know, not that he's not the sturdiest of walkers at the best of times. It was a slightly ambitious, uh, thing to go for a walker and it was a bit up and downy with him. Uh, but anyway, off we go with, uh, with the little, little Tristan and he's all right. A bit whingy, a bit moany, a few haribo keep him going, you know, you know, oh, how far was it eat this? Uh, and, uh, and on he, you know, we run, and then we got about, you know, two thirds of the way round, and then he just sort of sat down on the floor and said, oh, oh in a very sort of demonstrative, dramatic way. I am done. I can't go any further. At which point his dad sort of, you know, (whistles) whipped him up, put him on his shoulders, and on he went. And that's what Paul's talking here. It's not that all of a sudden, this little boy, five-year-old, oh, I'm really weak. But in my weakness, all of a sudden, I've discovered extraordinary strength, and on he goes, and now I can run faster than all of you know. In his weakness, he's carried He's carried. When he is weak, then he knows strength, the strength of someone else to carry him through. He won't stumble now because he's carried. There's a strength to him. Now, we do need to be careful in talking about these things. Paul is strong in talking of his experience. We don't want to make it an absolute. Not all who suffer become humble. Not all who are humble have suffered enormously. It's not automatically a sort of you put one thing in, you get one thing out. Plenty of humble people who have gone through life without major trauma. But when you put this into the rest of the New Testament, you'd have to suggest that it's fairly normal Christian living to be brought to a point of weakness in order that you rely... Depend, trust more deeply upon Christ and his power. And if you go through life professionally, in your family, financially, without any troubles, you sail through life, it is unlikely you know much of this power that comes through relying humbly, deeply upon Christ. Paul suggests that normal Christian living is will involve at times being brought to the point of weakness, so you know Christ's strength. But the humility, that's the key thing. Paul is humbled. Paul is made weak in order that he depends upon the Lord, boasts in Christ and not himself. That's the key thing. Often weaknesses will be needed to get us there. But that humble dependence, that's what's needed. So what is boasting in weakness? It's dependence. Boasting in weakness is not, oh, let me tell you about all my ailments this week. It's not that. It's depending upon Christ and saying, look at him. Look at him. It's very wonderful what he does for me. So Paul would ask us, what do we boast in? Are we boasting in my achievements, my strength, or Christ's strength? What are we boasting in? Having heard from Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul's outlook is, verse 10, I've learned that I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, dwell with me. It's the same word as John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, pitched its tent. When I'm weak and exhausted Paul says I know that Jesus pitches his tent right next to me with me. When I'm weak I know his strength. I'd often do this this week I uh, I looked online at um uh I wondered if Charles Spurgeon had preached on uh, on this passage. I thought he probably had. Uh, some would know his story uh is he the, the, the best English preacher ever? I don't know. You can argue the, the toss over that. But undoubtedly, the in uh, the 19th century, the most famous Christian of his day. You know, They built this enormous church, Metropolitan Tabernacle, for him to preach in. Uh, set up all sorts of... I mean, he was phenomenal. All his sermons published. Everyone would have known who he was. A phenomenal leader in his day. For the last 27 years of his life, uh, if you tot it up, a third of the time he was in bed a third of the time unable to get up and work, unable to preach. Nine years wasted. But God, he achieved a great amount despite that. But the lovely thing, has he, did he preach on this? Of course he did. Of course he did. Precious words from the Saviour's mouth. And uh, he hammers, Basically, I don't know how long the sermon would have been, it runs for several pages. But it seems to me he says over and over and over and over again, Christ says, my grace is sufficient for you. Me, the one who made all things, the one who oversees all things, the one who holds this world together, my grace is sufficient for you. You, individually. All of my power, for you. Today, Not just yesterday in the past when I was graciously dying for you. Not just in the future, I'll graciously get you to heaven. Today. My grace will give you what you need. Today. You. And there was a man who knew what he was talking about. What will you boast in? Paul says, I boast in the weaknesses, my weaknesses. Not because I want to tell you about them. But because they've humbled me. So I depend upon him. That's what you want in a leader. Someone who just keeps pointing you to Christ. That's what you want to boast in yourself. Not what you've achieved, but that he keeps you going. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd hear us excuse me, that we would hear your words rightly this morning, that we would know that uh, there are occasions when you use our trials, our weaknesses, our afflictions, our hardships, our struggles. They are designed by you in order to bring us to a point of weakness so that we may cling to you, depend upon you all the more, express our need and trust in you. Father, that is a, wildly unpopular truth in the 21st century because we want to be self-reliant. So we want to say, hey, look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Look how strong I am. Look how impressive I am. Look at me. And yet you love us so much that you'll bring us to a point of weakness. So we cling to you. The small child is stronger, safer on his father's shoulders than he is on his own. And Father, we are in a better place when we're clinging to you that I'm relying on our own strength. Father, would we understand these truths rightly so that we do depend upon you, we love you, and praise you and point others to you for the honour of your name. Amen.